aspirin. And uh, <clears throat> Father, we thank you for our, our time this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has met our every needs. And Father, as we just turn to our time in your word and in the Gospel of John once again, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would move and work in and through the power of your word. And Father, we ask that your, your love in our own hearts and our own minds would be confirmed here this morning. Father, you gave everything that you could give for us. And we pray for our children as they're dismissed to their class. You bless them in their time together as well. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. We're so thankful for the people that, the willing hearts that decorated. It looks beautiful. Everything looks fine. We're getting into that time of the year, right? Pretty soon you'll be saying Merry Christmas to everybody. <laughs> it's an important time. And it's important because it it's really highlights why Christ came. It highlights the... Um, the advent of Christ, the, the coming of Christ. And we've been looking at John chapter 1. And so far we've been, we've been taking our time through the first 18 verses because as I told you from the beginning, this is kind of an introduction, an epilogue you might say, a kind of a summary of, of everything. He goes through some theological things there. And then in verse 19 he begins to give more of the story of what actually went on. And so he gives his first-hand account and we've looked at verses 1 and 5 of chapter 1, and we saw his relationship to God and all things, that in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was God, and was with God, and the Word was God. And, and that is so, so important. We can never forget that Christ was not just another human. He was God in the flesh. He was God incarnate. And then the second thing we saw in verses 6 through 13 as we've been going through our study, is his reason for coming into the world. Why was this? And it was basically so that we could understand. Uh, he says he came to his own. His own did not receive him. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. But to all who did receive him, verse 12, who believed in his name, what? He gave the right to become children of God. The reason for him coming into the world was so that we could be born again, not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, it says in verse 13, but the will of God. It's such a neat thing to understand that God's will for us is to be saved. And as believers, we just rejoice in that. We rejoice in that. And then... We saw his revelation to God in verses 14 to 18, how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, his incarnation, you could say. And uh, it introduces us in verse 15, John bore witness about him. That's John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. We're going to be talking a little bit about him today. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. And it, we talked about how Christ doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's God. He can't. God isn't born. Uh, he never, he was, he was in existence before his physical birth, his incarnation here on earth. And so that's what John is saying there. And then he goes on and he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so Christ came down in his incarnation as a visible representative of a holy God. And that's why people were so drawn to him. That's why people were so impressed with him because he was God. And he did incredibly miraculous things. But even at that, many did not believe, right? Many did not believe. And that's always hard. It's hard when you share your own personal testimony with someone and you say, this is what I was before I came to Christ. This is what happened when I came to Christ. And you're trying to encourage them to make that same decision to follow Christ and they don't believe. It's not they don't believe you haven't changed. They just don't believe that God did it. And see, that's a big, big difference. And so God is with us. We saw that. And now we're looking at verses 19, and I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage this morning. We're not going to get through the whole thing, but um, from 19 down to 34. But before we actually stand and read this together, you can turn to make sure you're focused on verse 19. But um, have you ever, I just want to ask you, have you ever smelled a camel? (laughs) You have. You sat on a camel, right? (laughs) I, I wouldn't get on that camel. Um, over in, in Israel, when we were over in Israel, in, in front of the, uh, the, the hotel there on the Mount of Olives, they always have the International Hotel. They always have camels there because, you know, you give the people some money and you get to sit on a camel or they'll go on a ride. They stink so bad. They just reek. It's horrible. I mean, it's, it's almost like you want to lose your lunch. It's that bad. And, you know, they need, you know what they need? I wish they had it back then. They need that, what's it called, poof? They you ever see that commercial? That's what they need. They need gallons. They need to douse their camels in poof. Uh, hopefully it would make them smell better. But camels just reek. It, it's, it's, you know, it's nothing against camels, but they just smell. Um, now, can you imagine taking the hair of a camel, <laughs> that smelly hide, and, um, and if you've ever brushed a camel... It's not soft like a cat. It's like a wire brush. I mean, they actually make brushes, painting brushes, right out of camel hair. <clears throat> and those are treated and softened. But when you touch a camel, it's, it's rough. It's not, they're not soft and cuddly animals. Um, can you imagine that smelly, awful, coarse hair being your suit for the day? I'm going to wear a camel hair suit. Uh, Can you imagine eating things like locusts? Bugs. Maybe some of you can. I can't. I I couldn't eat them. The honey doesn't sound too bad. Honey and locusts. But the wild bugs, you know, that's just really, really odd to me. And then, I mean, the only thing when we understand about John the Baptist, this is who we're talking about, right? John the Baptist, the only thing we really understand good about his clothing was this leather belt that he had around all this smelly camel hair to keep it on his body, basically. (laughs) That was about the only good part of his attire. Um, And then he's out there in the desert dressed in camel hair. I mean, the desert area where he was at, it's one of the lowest spots on the face of the globe. It's 1,300 feet below, below sea level. Rarely is it less than 100 degrees. You have this man out there dressed in camel hair, eating wild bugs and honey. 
Uh, he probably had a beard, so he's probably got bugs and honey in his beard. It's just disgusting, right, when you think of the picture, right? And he's out there screaming like a raving maniac, get right with God, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, think about that picture. And yet, and yet, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, says John the Baptist was the greatest man who was ever born of a woman. <laughs> think about that. I mean, we would look at somebody like that and say, they've lost their marbles, they're nuts. And as we look at verse 19, we're going to see that John the Baptist, Jesus says, was, was basically the forerunner of Christ. And so as I read this passage, I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word this morning. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 19 to 34. And you can just follow along in your Bibles, 19 to 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Verse 22. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's what John said. His, here's his reply, verse 23. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. That's very important. Verse 25. They asked him, why are you then baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Verse 26. John answered, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29, and the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven. Notice it says, like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father, we come before you and we ask your blessing upon your word. We come once again and we see the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see our need for him. There's no hope in life apart from him. I pray that we would be ready in our own hearts if we haven't yet to receive him as our Lord and Savior here today. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A couple things here as we look at this text. It's kind of interesting. Just two things. It's kind of broken up this way. Two paragraphs, you could say. In verses 19 to 28 of chapter 1, you see that John is basically saying that he, he prepared the way for the Lord. 
He prepared the way for the Lord. And the second thing we see in verses 29 to 34 that he proclaimed the true identity of Jesus Christ. Now because we had communion and because time restraints, we're not going to get all through this today. But the first thing I see here is that he prepared the way for the Lord. Now, I know Ken taught on John the Baptist a couple weeks ago and did a great job, gave us a lot of background information. So we're not going to go into a whole lot of um, details concerning John the Baptist. But I do want you to turn back to Luke chapter 1 because we're going to spend a little time just setting the foundation here and reviewing even what Ken taught us a couple weeks ago about John the Baptist. Because, and I think we have to do this because the Lord said that this is the greatest man that's ever lived, that was ever born of a woman. So we, we have to understand a little bit more about his uh, background. <clears throat> and a lot of this would be review, but I think it's important just to kind of keep it fresh in our hearts. And so we'll be reading some scripture here and just follow along in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning basically in, in, verse, uh, in verse 5 there. But now think about this, because this priest, um, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. This priest basically goes in every day. He goes into the temple. He stands in front of the altar of incense, and he burns incense, which basically symbolizes the prayer of the priest as he's praying to God. And what they used to do, they would wait for an answer from God. An audible voice, which they heard in the past, they would hear it. But think about this. For 400 years, they haven't heard anything. 400 years, it's been silent. They've been doing this routine and nothing. God, he ain't got nothing, nothing. I don't have anything for you. And this is really, this time here is really the first time that God has spoke after Ichabod, after the glory had departed from Israel. After God, because of their rebellion and their disobedience and the sin which they were in, they turned, he turned his back on the earthly structure that we call the temple and said, I'm done. And he took his presence to heaven, not to return again. And so for 400 years, they hadn't heard anything, nothing. And so all of a sudden, this priest who's on his regular duties, Zechariah, he hears from God. Now, you could imagine that would be a little intimidating. I've never heard the voice of God outside of his word when I read it to myself aloud. Okay, I, I haven't heard God speak audibly to me. I don't think he needs to do that today because we have his word. But look at what he says here in John or in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It gives us a little background on this, this priest who hears from God. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the vision of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, they would have divisions of priests, there was uh, several uh, thousand priests, basically, and I think they had like 20, 20 divisions, something like that, broken up into different segments. His division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen, verse 9, to, by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. 
Now, I don't know if they chose them by lot because they didn't want to go in there because it could be dangerous. I mean, you could actually die if you did something wrong in there, all right? Or maybe they all wanted to go in there and be in the presence of God, so they had to take a, a, a choose by lot or figure out who's going to do it. But either way, this is what happened, and Zechariah got chosen. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This is the time the priest goes in. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That alone would shock you. And Zechariah was troubled, look at, when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Whenever you hear someone say that they meet God or they meet an angel from God, you know, these people on TV who say all these kind of crazy things, they went to heaven or whatever, and then they sat down and had a coffee and a donut with Jesus or something. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's a lie. They're making these things up. This never happened. It's a total fabrication to milk you for more money. <laughs> basically, bottom line. And so we have to be careful. I think if an angel appeared to us, or if the Lord appeared to us, we would be stricken. We would be flat on our backs or our face before him. We wouldn't be standing there saying, hey, Jesus, what's up, dude? No. God is a holy God. And, and Zechariah, who was a priest, who was a holy man in the day, it says that he was troubled when he saw him, and he fear fell upon him. But look at what the angel says. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That's all angels... That's how they start their conversations with people. Without, throughout the scripture, whether it's at Jesus' birth, you know, hey, fear not, right? Why do they have to say that? Because the people are terrified. This is a supernatural being that's holy, that's in your presence. And so he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you, now remember, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, not the man who's, who's writing the Gospel of John, but the, the uh, prophet. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Think about that one. That is amazing. This is why I think Jesus said this is the greatest man that ever lived. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. It doesn't say he is Elijah. It's in his spirit and in his power. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then look at verse 18. We have the dialogue here. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, okay, I get it. This is a nice story, but I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. Verse 19, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. What's the angel doing? I think the angel's going, Okay, you want some credentials? Here's the credentials. First of all, I'm Gabriel. Wow, that's, that's significant in and of itself. I stand in the presence of God, is what this angel says. And he says, and I was sent by that God to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Consequences to actions. Consequences to actions which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. 
they probably thought, whoa, maybe he did something, maybe he slipped up. Maybe he offered some incense he wasn't supposed to offer. Maybe he made a mistake. Uh, maybe, who knows, but maybe he's dead. They didn't know. They were very concerned. Why is he being delayed? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. But he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful we're able to communicate. Have you ever tried to communicate somebody who can't communicate back? Sometimes it's a different language, right? There's a language barrier. But if you've ever talked to someone who's deaf, who is mute as well, it's very difficult. It's very frustrating. You end up talking louder to them, and <laughs> they can't hear you because they're deaf. Okay, and you think, well, if you yell a little louder, or pronounce a little better, uh, but it does it doesn't work, and 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 they can't when they're mute, they can't speak back to you, so you really have no clue. And this is was Zachariah's situation. A man who really probably spoke as a priest before God for the people was his way of life. All of a sudden, he can't, he can't make any, any, anything come out of his mouth. But it says that he remains faithful there to, this, to the time of his service ended. Verse 4, 24, and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, just like it said, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when I looked when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Why? Because she was barren. It was not a positive thing to not be able to have children back in that day and age. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent uh, from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, he, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary goes on and says, how will this be, since I'm a, a virgin? We'll be getting into all that later. But go down to verse 57. All the way down to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the, ch the child, and they would, call, <clears throat> they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother um, answered, said, no, <clears throat> his name shall be uh, called John. And this is because this is what, in verses 39 to 45 there, if you look back at that text, in those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, he's a priest. And they were, uh, uh, obviously, they had a relationship there. And, and, and Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit. And she, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then it continues, and it, it talks about the birth of John the Baptist. And it's, it's very, you know, um, it, it's very telling that the Lord does exactly what he says he was going to do. We'll turn over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And like I said, this is just kind of laying the foundation for our understanding of how this all played out. And, and some of this is, is important that we, <coughs> we get this. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It talks about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And so the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 1, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, remember John talked about that, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, you for, uh, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is right from the Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing the sins, confessing their sins. And here's where we get how he was dressed. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me... He who is mightier comes, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, in the, those days Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said this. Once again, he hears the voice of God. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Well, go back to John. And as we look at verse 19 to 34, I want to just a couple things here that are, that are kind of important uh, in your outline there. Because the first thing I see is that he prepared, he prepared literally the way for the Lord. He prepared the way for the Lord. A couple things here. First of all, he dealt with these priests and these Levites uh, from Jerusalem. Look at what it says. And this is a testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So he had to deal with these people. Now, you wouldn't understand this. You would think, why are they asking who he is? They must not have known who he is. Listen, you're not a priest and a Levite and you don't know who this guy is because he grew up in the home, his dad was a priest. John the Baptist's dad was a, a priest. They knew who John the Baptist was. Well, what are they, what are they, what are they saying here? What are they doing? Why, why would they ask him, who are you? Really, they're going to him thinking, we know who you are, we know exactly, you're the, you're the kid that we grew up with you. You know? And unfortunately, you kind of went by the wayside. Uh, you didn't become a priest like your dad. You're out here dressed in this weird clothing in this hot weather, eating bugs and, and honey and, and, and telling people to repent. Who do you think you are? 
That's really what they're asking. Who do you think you are, John? They're not asking who he is. They knew who he was. But he had to deal with them. He had to deal with the priests and the Levites who came at him from Jerusalem under instructions to go out and say, what's going on out there? Now, why would they do this? Why would they be concerned about someone who is out in the middle of the wilderness, dressed in camel hair, eating bugs and honey, and, and screaming at people, preaching at people? Because it threatened them. It threatened them. It threatened their way of life. It threatened <clears throat> their religiosity. See, what was John preaching? John was preaching a message of repentance, clearly. He was preaching a message of repentance. And so they're looking at the way he's dressed. You know, you should have priestly clothes on, John. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're a nut. You look crazy. You're out here screaming at people in the wilderness, telling people... All they have to do is confess their sins and get right with God. Wait a minute, John, that's not what we believe. What about the 600 laws of the Torah? What about our tradition, John? You're not doing things the way you should be. You should know better. Your dad's a priest. And it's so, so important that we understand Really, the message of John, what he was trying to portray here, went against everything that they believed. In verse 7, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, it says this. Because see, these people were coming to John and they were confessing their sins. They were realizing John has a different message here. He's not telling us to go get a, uh, another lamb and sacrifice it or do whatever. No, he's saying, hey, Repent, change. That's what that word means, right? A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. But look at what he says in verse 7 of Matthew 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, and they weren't coming to celebrate. You know, we had a dear brother, Peter Sprakis, who's getting baptized tonight at Hillside uh, Church in, in San Jose. He, it's, a wonder, it's going to be a wonderful time. It's 5 o'clock if you want to go. But it... it I want to hear his testimony. He's going to be baptized with other people there as well. Um, so it would be an exciting time. But what? You get baptized because you've repented of your sins. And look at what he addresses them as. He says to them, he doesn't say welcome. He says, hey guys, good to see you. No, look at what he says. You brood of vipers. Who warned you from the wrath to come? You bunch of snakes. That's really what he's doing. That's how he's classifying them. He says, who warned you from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on and he lectures them. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. That's not what they wanted to hear from their buddy John. <laughs> That's not what they wanted to hear. That was an insult to them. That's not how you speak to these religious people, John. It almost sounds like Amos 
We're studying Amos on Wednesday nights. This is almost how Amos sounds. He's very, comes from a farming background. He's just very basic in the way he presents God's prophecies. It's almost offensive at times. But he says, you know what? You're nothing but a bunch of snakes. All this outward religion that you folks are involved with, he's saying, is, is dead. It's not doing anything for you. And you wonder why people are coming all the way out here in the desert to hear the message that I'm preaching? Because it's a message of hope. It's not a message about me. It's a message about the one that's coming after me that it's not even worthy for me to undo his sandals. And so he calls them there to repent. He says, bring forth works of repentance. I mean, I'm thankful that John didn't welcome them with a cozy little hug. Glad for you to come. See, this is what's happened in churches today. They have people come into the church and they're so worried about offending people with the truth of the Word of God that they've dumbed down the truth of the Word of God. They've dumbed down the Gospel because they just want people to come and stay. It's unfortunate. Not that we're up here to insult people. We don't want to do that. But the last time I checked, the message of the Gospel is insulting. So you have the choice to make. Either you're going to present it accurately, as John did. He was out there telling people to repent. Stop this outward performance stuff. Stop all this religiosity. You teach all this tradition, and you're not even close to keeping your own traditions. This is what we need to hear today. You know, you can be very religious here today. You can come to church Sunday, Wednesday night, Tuesday, whatever, Thursday, men's me, whatever. You can come here all the time. That doesn't make you righteous. That doesn't make you holier in God's eyes. But here we have these religious people confronting John back to John 1, and he, he is basically saying, okay, you want to know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. I'll share what my message is with you. And he had to deal with these people. His father was a priest. They were the Pharisees. They emphasized obedience to the law, so he confronted it. And he, what's he do? He denies, look at what he says, he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. In other words, I'm not Jesus. I'm not your Messiah. These people don't think I'm your Messiah they're not coming to me because I'm the Messiah. What did he do? He deflected the glory that people wanted to give him for what? For the sake of God's glory. That's what we're called to do. So he deals with these priests, these Levites. He denies that he was the Messiah. And then he starts denying other things. They say, well, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. And you notice his, his questions get a little more terse, a little more short. He's getting a little irritated. You can just see it. Because first they say, who are you? And he confessed, he did not know. I am not the Christ. And then they said, well, are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Simply, no. So they said to him, who are you? 
John, we need to give an answer. We were sent here by our religious delegation. We can't go back empty-handed. What do you say about yourself? Verse 22. And he said, what? I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I am the one, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He decri- describes himself as a voice. Not the voice, just a voice. He understood where he stood before God. I mean, this is the man who Jesus said, there's no one greater than this man. And yet, he is standing before these religious leaders who are accusing him of kind of, you know, who do you think you are? you got all these people coming out all the way out here to see. Who do you think you are, John? You're not even dressed like a priest. And he says, oh, I'm not the Christ. Don't look to me. Because he has the understanding that, you know what, he is the least in God's kingdom. Even though Jesus says he was the greatest man who ever lived, John the Baptist says, no, no, there's one who's much greater than me. And that's very telling when he describes himself there as a voice in the wilderness. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm the voice in this this great venue here with all these people coming out to hear me, look at me. See, this, this, is what, this is what is portrayed a lot of times in modern day Christianity. People get the wrong impression. People get the wrong idea about themselves. They begin to think that they are the voice, not just a voice. Because they have thousands of people rallying to hear them speak. And so he prepares the way here and he proclaims the true identity of Christ. But he just describes himself as a voice. He's just saying, you know what, I am just one of these, these voices. Um, don't, don't look to me for anything more than that. Um, I'm not important. Christ is important. He deflects all that glory back to Christ. And he describes himself as a simple, uh, simple voice. Now, the other thing that's important for us to see here as he continues, they said, well, what do you say about I'm I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness? But what's his message? His message here is very clear. His message, he wants everyone to see. He wants everyone to understand. He's not not, uh, backing down from these guys. He's not embarrassed. He's bold. Uh... You know, he's willing to do whatever it takes for him to get this message across to the, the, the people that are, that are listening here. And so he says, what's, what's the message? Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In other words, John says, I'm not going to clutter up the message here. It's very clear. I am the one who's given this message by God, and I am proclaiming it faithfully to those who God has sent to me. I've been doing that. And now you want to know who am I? Like I am somebody um, of importance. And John is saying, no, I am not. I am not someone of importance. Christ is the one who is important. The one who's coming after me. I am not the Christ. I'm not even Elijah. I'm not even a prophet. He said, I'm just the one who's out here baptizing with water. And so when they asked him those questions, in verse 24, 
They had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? In other words, what right, John, what right do you have here to do these things that you're doing? Because we don't see that you do have a right. You know, your dad's a, a priest, and you're just out here acting like a crazy man. What's going on? And John answered them, look at his answer in verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you, he points once again back to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, what's he doing? He's trying to deflect the glory that people are trying to put on him, right? And he's saying, no, that's not the case. The case of the matter is, is that we need to look to Christ. We need to go to Christ with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and we need to understand who he is. That's the most important thing. His method was one just crying out in the wilderness. It wasn't flashly, flashy. He didn't have a big tent. It was in an uncomfortable place. It was hot. He smelled. His message was one just make straight the way of the Lord. Keep that clear to people. And his motivation was one because that's what God told him to do. That's what the prophet said needed to happen. And so John's baptism, he discusses that in verses 24 to 28, was not Christian baptism nor Jewish baptism. They had Jewish baptism too. If you wanted to become a Jew, you had to be baptized. And it wasn't Christian, it wasn't Jewish, and they're saying, what is it? What is this? They didn't understand. And that's why he points to Christ. He says there is one among you. Think about that. That indicates to me that Jesus was there. He was right there among them. And they didn't recognize him. They didn't, they didn't look to him. And he even says, I'm not worthy <laughs> uh, to un- undo his sandal. I'm not worthy to untie it. That, you know, the, the people who, when you walk, walked into a house back in that culture, the people who would take off your shoes and clean your feet, guess what? They were servants. They were slaves, to put it bluntly, of that household. And they had to do that. They didn't do it of choice. And you didn't even have to ask them to do it. They would just do it because that was their job. That was what they were there for. And so John wants to make make him very clear that, look, this is not about me. This is not about John the Baptist. He keeps on saying that over and over again. They keep on saying, well, what about you? What about you? He's like, I don't matter. There's one among you who you better look to. Because if you don't, there's going to be uh, hell to pay in the long run. And see, the one thing we have to understand, beloved, is that when we when we gather together as believers, we're not to be looking to one another. We're not to be looking to the program or the music or whatever. We're to be looking at who? We're to be looking at Christ. We're to be looking at the one who gave up his life willingly for us. The one who willingly served us so that we can willingly serve him. And this is what John the Baptist was trying to get these religious people to understand, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And I pray that every heart here this morning gets it. 
But you know what? If you're trusting in your religion, if you're trusting in just coming to church, if you're trusting in just studying your Bible or taking communion or getting baptized, that's not going to cut it. That's not enough in the end. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you're relying on those things to somehow secure your salvation, what John is, his message is what? No, turn to God, repent. Turn to Christ. Stop trying so hard. And put your faith, your trust in a Lord, in a God who loves you and cares for you. We'll get into rest, the rest of the text, why he proclaimed the true identity of Jesus Christ next time. But it's so important that we realize that John the Baptist was a man who was the greatest man pretty much who ever lived outside of Christ himself. And yet, he didn't receive that. He willingly deflected it. And he said, no, not me, not me, but Christ. May Christ be glorified. May Christ be honored. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example of John the Baptist. And Lord, I'm thankful that Ken was able to lay kind of a foundation several weeks ago going into more of the information about John the Baptist. But Lord, we pray that we would, the one thing we would take away today is that he wasn't a glory hound. He didn't want the glory. He wanted that glory to be given its proper place, and that is on God. And so, Father, you've gifted us in myriads of ways. You've you've given us gifts and talents and, and hearts of servants. But Lord, I pray that we would never get to the point where we think somehow we deserve the glory. Lord, help us always think that we, we are the least in your kingdom, not the greatest. We don't want to walk around thinking that God needs us on his team or things won't get done if he doesn't have us on his team. No, God does not need us. He's perfectly, completely sufficient to do all that he desires to be done. And yet he chooses to allow us to participate in ministry, to participate in the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Not so we can put another feather in our hat, but so that people can be saved. So that people can hear the gospel from a fallen human being like you and I, and yet still be transformed, still be saved. What a glorious thing that is. And Father, we pray with Christmas approaching quickly, I only have a couple weeks left, Lord, we pray that our message of the gospel would ring loud and clear through our lives, but also through our lips. Father, that we would proclaim Christ and Him crucified and Him risen to a lost and dying world. And we would see many people come to Christ, Lord, that we would use the tracks that are so freely provided for us here in this church that hang on the wall back there. Lord, pray that we would pick some of those up and distribute them when we go out to dinner, when we go to the gas station, when we go to Costco to prepare for all of our holiday festivities, that we would be able to say Merry Christmas to people with a smile on our face, knowing that we can celebrate the birth and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this time of year, and that it can have a profound effect on other people who are lost without Christ. They're hopeless. They live in a world that's fallen, that's filled with sin, that's tragically coming to an end eventually. And Lord, a lot of those people are traumatized. They're, they're scared beyond belief because they have no hope. And Lord, I pray that the hope that we do have, we'll be able to pass it on to them as believers who live here in Redwood City on this peninsula. 
So, Father, we pray you bless our time of fellowship across the way and the food to our bodies as well. And we just thank you as we close with one last song. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, amen.